For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com. Paul Dennett, the award-winning cricket podcaster as part of Cricket Daily and also Cricket Unfiltered, joins us on the Overnight Crowd. G'day, Paul. Hey, Hita, how are you going? Good, thank you, mate. Thanks so much for the time once again. Uh, firstly, before we get to our second Christmas, which is the Boxing Day Test, how was your Christmas weekend? Yeah, pretty good. Um, a lot of fun with the family. It was um, um, a different Christmas in the sense that we had everything forced outdoors to uh, take precautions against uh, Omicron. But um, that aside, um, it, it felt good. And um, we, we were locked down last Christmas, so it's been two years since kind of I've seen some of the extended family. It was, it was wonderful to catch up with them. And, um, yeah, really enjoyed it. So as far as, you know, getting into the day one of the Boxing Day test, uh, we got to see Australia's captain, Pat Cummins, uh, look like he was absolutely bursting at the seams to be back out there. And he started off in rip-snorting fashion, didn't he? He was dangerous in that in that opening spell. Yeah, um, and there was a point there where, you know, he took those first three wickets. And I think before that, that third wicket was taken, there was probably a few people who stayed up late at night in England who were starting to dream that maybe things weren't going so badly because it was funny how in this match everyone agreed that it was the right thing to do to send the opposition in and Cummins had no hesitation and, and Root said he would have done the same thing. But when England were two for 60 on the on the cusp of lunch, um, it looked like maybe the pitch was nowhere near as bad as, as everyone had thought. I mean, they, they kept 1.1 centimetres of grass on there, which um, yeah. when you think about it, when you visualise that, it's very it's very long. They only kept about 0.8 of a centimetre of grass on the Adelaide pitch. So um, then he got that final wicket of um, Milan, I think it was, just before the lunch break, and that really tilted the session in Australia's favour. And, um, and it, it, you know, only went from there. So that was day one. Uh, we have day two today, which, uh, as I was saying to you before we uh, started uh, having this chat, Paul, I forgot that there was the delay of the, the day's game with uh, cases on the broadcast side, but also with the English touring party. So uh, just so much going on with, with the with the end of the day that we did end up having. Uh, Mitch Stark uh, just on fire and Scotty Boland also helping out. But the day's play, uh, everyone is okay as for the time being, but um, there's just so much going on, Paul, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Definitely. I mean, it's one of these days where if it had been a dull, boring day with nothing on the field, there'd still be plenty to talk about because of all the off-field stuff. But it just so happened to be a day where on-field was captivating. And that last half hour, I mean, everyone's talking about how it really did evoke memories of uh, 40 years and two days ago when Dennis Lilly came steaming in and uh, knocked Viv Richards over off the last ball of the day. And um, that was the match, I think, that really got the Boxing Day Test match set in stone in the calendar. It was the first time that had a game on, on a Test match on Boxing Day in a while. And the atmosphere then, it was it was quite remarkable, having just actually recently watched the highlights on YouTube just a few days ago. Mm. Um, the, the similarity, 40 years apart, and just the vibe at the MCG at the end there, it was, it was just tremendous. And the 40-odd thousand crowd, everyone's saying it, it felt like more like 100,000. But yeah, you wind back to the start of the day, and for a moment there, it looked like there wasn't going to be any play at all. I, I'll put my hand up. I got on my flight back from Kalgoorlie. Uh, I missed... All of the uh, second innings wickets so far for England. So I was scratching my head at some of the messages when I did land. But what a finish to a day of cricket. England in all sorts at the moment. Four for 31, they finished day two. Yes, well, um, and uh, one of the interesting stats that CrickBiz put out was that the first five overs of um, Stark and Cummins, in that period, that they had the most sort of wicket-taking opportunity balls, they call it, in any 
set of um, five overs since the, their records of that kind began in 2006. And, you, you know, you watch the highlights and England lost those very two quick wickets early. It could have been three or four. And um, poor old Cummins bowled absolutely brilliantly and didn't get a wicket. Um, and then Boland came on at the end and... Oh, it was such a joyous thing that a guy that would have given himself no chance whatsoever of playing a test match this summer, suddenly steaming in in front of um, 40,000 on a ground that he's played at dozens and dozens of times and, you know, almost always, almost nobody there, to, to get two wickets uh, right at the end, it was just stunning. And when the, the last wicket, the night watchman, um, Jack Leach, shouldering arms and the ball cannoning into the off stump, uh, it was one of the, you know, the spine tingling sort of moment, even just watching it on TV. Uh, we'll we'll go with Scotty Boland, uh, the MCG specialist, as he was touted. Uh, the crowd was really up and about when he got his first runs uh, with the bat, but his spell, as you were just saying then uh, this afternoon, was sensational. Yes, it was. They, I mean, the Victorian crowd, they are fantastic. They cheer every Australian on. But uh, And I presume it's like this in most places, but once <laughs> there's a Victorian out there, um, I, was at the, I remember being there in 2005, Australia versus South Africa, and it wasn't the greatest day of cricket, but by far the biggest roar was when Brad Hodges walked out to bat and they just went berserk and they stole the, you know, um, we love you because you're a Victorian chant sort of echoing around the ground. And so I suppose they don't have that many, you know, fast bowlers over the years in recent times as Merv Hughes and, and Paul Rifle and, and, and one or two others. But, the, the, you know, there's not that many times when they've got to cheer on a, um, a big, quick taking wickets at the MCG. So, they probably all had a couple of beers during the day as well, so it was, it was the perfect um, culmination for the day's play. Certainly, uh, Marcus Harris's uh, innings from earlier in the day would have uh, helped the uh, lubrication, perhaps, with uh, some of the uh, supporters there as well? Yeah, I think that they, they've probably... Um, uh, I don't know whether to take that question as that, he's, that he was a bit slow and that they needed to drink to, 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 <laughs> to uh, endure it, or... <laughs> I meant that they would have been enjoying the innings and, you know, that, that, you know yeah, that, in, that, in that manner... <laughs> Yeah, definitely. He's an adopted Victorian, um, yeah. <laughs> and it was and it certainly wasn't that slow. It was um, um, more than acceptable pace and uh, an important innings for, for the Aussies because uh, the very rare event of Labuschagne in an Ashes Test match not succeeding but was then followed by the equally rare event of Steve Smith not succeeding. And had he not been there to stabilise things and get an important career-saving, career-saving 70-odd, then the game could look quite different. And he had that... Um, breath sort of um, edge, of the, edge of his seat moment where he was given out LBW off the bowling of Stokes by Paul Rifle and he reviewed it instantly and the technology showed the faintest um, inside edge and then you could hear they played a stump mic conversation between him and Stokes where he actually admitted that he wasn't sure whether he'd hit it or not and he, he was uncertain whether it'd be, he'd hit his pad and he was just hoping that he'd got a bit of an inside edge on it. So it's amazing how this game can sort of turn on a millimetre, that um, if that had been a, a millimetre away and missed the inside edge, um, he'd be, he'd, the decision would have stayed as out, and he'd be then one innings away from possibly be out, being out of the Australian side, possibly never to come back. But now he's probably secured his spot for the rest of the Ashes. So can we say that the Marnus Labuschagne at um, number four in the batting order um, experiment is over after his uh, one uh, earlier today? <laughs> If you want. Um, <laughs> I was looking for excuses and that was the only one I could come up with, to be honest. <laughs> well, that's a good one. It's, it's certainly a good one. Um, yeah, I, um, um, I, I wouldn't mind if um, if they moved the order around a little bit more than they do. I think that 
yeah. they they get a little bit superstitious about their their positions. But maybe you know, um, and you know, Steve Smith at number five didn't work either. <laughs> That's true. I didn't uh, think of the uh, second half of that one there. Uh, let's be, uh, talk about Mitch Stark. Uh, I saw that he has maybe the uh, third, I think it was, uh, best batting average across this series so far. He's looking more and more dangerous with the ball. Is he perhaps the clubhouse leader of uh, the player of the series at this point? Well, it's a good question. I mean, he'd certainly be up there. Um, but I just think that um, it, it's, yeah, it's, a, it, it's very hard to know. I think that as long as we do get the remaining couple of matches, which we hopefully do, hopefully do, someone will surge forward from the pack to to make it more obvious. But he's certainly in the top few. And given that there was speculation, and I was taking part in it as to whether he should be included in that first test side, um, it's been a, a real a real triumph for him. And I think the way that even the way he just bowled uh, in that small spell um, this afternoon was was right up there with the best I've ever seen him bowl. And yeah, I mean, uh, he's an underrated batter. I've, um, often said that I think he should bat above Pat Cummins, yep. <laughs> and his his record would indicate that. However, today it was uh, really pleasing to see that Pat Cummins seems to have uh, taken a leaf out of Stark's book, and, and I know the situation of the game uh, was encouraging him to play aggressively, but it was a um, I think it's the best I've seen Cummins bat in Test cricket for quite some time, and it was because he decided to bat like a a talented tail ender rather than trying to. Uh, put the pressure on himself of batting like a top order player. The England batting lineup has seen some changes for this match, but feels like the results thus far have been the same or worse. Uh, how are you feeling about the uh, changes they made, and also just the application to the task across the two days we've seen so far? I, I thought that it was disappointing that they dropped Ollie Pope. Um, he's a young player with a very good average in um, first class cricket, and averages over fifty. And I always think that if you can average over 50 on English wickets, especially in the last few years where I think that English wickets have been more difficult than they have been in the past, that shows that you can play at the top level. And he, he looked a bit all at sea against Nathan Lyon in the first couple of tests. And I know that the Ashes are on the line and everything else, but I, I think that he was worth persisting with. Um, I don't mind that they brought Johnny Besto in, which was kind of nominally for him. I think he's a, he's a very good player. But I would have found a way to keep Pope in the side. Um, as for Zach Crawley being brought in for, for Rory Burns, yeah, I mean, Crawley has looked really good. I saw him get 260-odd against Pakistan um, in England not that long ago. He looked fantastic. Uh, and he is young, so there is an upside there. But his overall record's a little bit on the modest side. So I, I don't think the Australians would have been overly worried either way in, in that regard. So, um yeah, you know, sort of shuffling the, the deck chairs on the Titanic to, to some extent. I don't think you can um, criticise their application. I just think that sometimes when you're up against a bowling lineup that uh, is as good as Australia's, then uh, you, you're going to struggle. Yeah, maybe more of the middle order in that first um, innings. It's just. Yeah, it, it felt like it was a. Yeah, it was just all, always going to happen. It didn't really feel like there was anyone that was willing to as I say, apply themselves to be, hey, I'm the one that's going to stay here. And like Stokes, they had felt like it was in his head a little bit and figured him out. And yeah, I, I didn't think there was anyone there that was willing to be the guy. Yeah, I mean, I, I see what you mean. And they, they did cop a, um, a pasting in the English press, especially especially Stokes and Butler's dismissal. Stokes kind of um, basically spooning a ball to, to point and and Butler jumping down and trying to smack Lyon out of the ground and holding out. And, um, yeah, the, you can certainly criticise those two shots. I actually thought the most disappointing shot 
in the first innings was Joe Root, that he, he played beautifully yeah. getting to 50, and then he just sort of wafted at one from Stark that was neither really a defensive shot nor an attacking shot. And it was just a, a rare lapse in concentration from a wonderful player. And I actually, I felt sorry for him because the instant that he played it, he, you know, the, the fury that he had with himself and having to trudge off for yet another unconverted half century on Australian soil. Um, I, I'd be more than happy to see him get 100 tomorrow and make a game of things. And um, hopefully he does do that for the sake of the series. Your, pod, uh, your podcasting partner in crime, uh, Menace, wasn't too pleased with Johnny Bairstow, both on <laughs> and off the pitch. Uh, his performance at the day one press conference is making Manners uh, a little shirty, it's fair to say. Yes, um, I think it was quite amusing that, um, I mean, it was quite, quite right the point that Bairstow made that it was a, a good toss for Australia to win. But I think Manners does have a point as well that Bairstow certainly made the point a few times. Um, uh, <laughs> reminds me of a. Uh, rugby league, when St. George Illawarra were coached by Paul McGregor um, a few years ago, someone put a compilation of every press conference that he'd held throughout the entire year where he said that, oh, yeah, um, we're a bit unlucky because they scored their try from a kick. And it was like, with the press conference, the, the compilation went for about four minutes and it was just on and on and on. This one that Menace put together wasn't quite so bad. Um, but, yeah, he certainly garnered a little bit of attention um, on Twitter and Menace is, you know, absolutely delighted with that. <laughs> he definitely is. Uh, you alluded to it earlier, Paul, and I'm not sure if you're a Scher fan, but do you believe that Joe Root can spearhead some sort of revival in the morning, get the England total past Australia's lead and keep his team in the game? I think the key is that they have to play with the freedom that the situation demands. That is, if they go out there and play like they have done so far, uh, especially Stokes, if he, if he, I mean, I think I looked at it, the, the numbers that his strike rate in this series is 29. Um, that's just there's no future in that. That if he goes out there and plays that slowly, there's going to be a ball with his name on it. So they need judicious aggression, and they need to sort of say that's the only way that we're going to win this game. And to believe that a lead of 150 even would give them something to bowl at. Australia has made a mess of smaller totals than that in the past. <laughs> Obviously, if the target was 150, Australia would still start as strong favourites. But it would, it would it would at least be something. And I think if they go out there with pure defence on their mind, then, you know, the wickets will fall and it will be a relatively easy chase. Um, Menas actually thinks there's a chance that they might not even make Australia bad again. But, yeah. I answered your question, do I believe? I want to say yes for the sake of the series. Yeah. Um, but no, I think, in all honesty, I'm sort of, I think Australia will be set something fairly middling, you know, maybe 100 or something like that. Look forward to uh, the action returning in the morning. And uh, elsewhere, I've been loving the amount of cricket we can fit into a day with our Boxing Day test, uh, later fading into this South African Cricket Boxing Day test. They're up against a pretty quality opposition as well in India, who, bar Chestawa Pajara, who went for a very rare first baller, have so far made the best of it. Yeah, it's been unusual because the, the Centurion pitch has been, um, in the past, the Indians have found it very difficult because it's had plenty of life and, um, and plenty of carry. Uh, but this one was strangely flat. And so, uh, I mean, this Indian side is anything but a flat-track bully side. But certainly if they do get a flat track, then they love it. And um, it was good to see Rahane get some runs because he's been um, on the on the cusp of being omitted permanently from the from the Indian side. And last I saw, the, the, the biggest problem facing this test match as far as a spectacle is that the, the forecast for uh, the second and, and third days was deplorable. And that it's been raining heavily so far there today. And um, 
yeah, it'd be good if they could get back on for some cricket. But I think at this stage, the, the draw is looking pretty good. Yeah, because it does uh, keep us away from my last question, which is uh, how about that Indian bowling attack, though? I'm not sure which one of the five are more excited to see bowl. Yes, and it's just remarkable how um, for so many years they were a, a wonderful spin bowling attack, um, but they have completely um, turned things around. And that, you know, if you wanted to pick an Indian all time side, if you're looking at their fast bowlers, with the exception of Kapil Dev, who was a wonderful all rounder who might make it to that side, you know, might make it on that score. You'd really only need to consider players from the last five years, even though they've playing, been playing Test cricket for for almost a century. So it's just a it's a revolution, um, and you know, Bumrah is right up there with the, the very best in the in the world. And um, you know, that, to, to think that they have come to Australia twice in two tours and beaten us, and that that has been based on the the strength of their fast bowling, is incredible. And as I often say to Menas, which drives him around the twist, uh, if India continue to develop at this rate and if their money continues to pour into their, ga- into their game, um, they might start to dominate us on a regular basis. I'm going to have to agree with you there, Paul. Uh, but uh, hopefully the rain <laughs> goes away and we can get some play in that match as uh, also day three from the Boxing Day test does roll around. Uh, great stuff, Paul. Really appreciate the time once again, mate. Uh, enjoy the rest of the third test. Good on you, mate. Thanks. The podcast to like, subscribe and download are Cricket Daily and Cricket Unfiltered. Paul and Menas are doing an update following each day's play as well, and you need to get around it ASAP. So thanks very much to Paul Dennett from the Cricket Daily and Cricket Unfiltered podcast for joining us on the Overnight Crowd. And what were your thoughts around the first two days of the Third Ashes test that we've seen with, as we said, England in absolute all sorts at the moment, a packet of licorice lollies is uh, what I guess I'm trying to say, four for 31. Mitch Stark on a hat-trick, MCG absolutely a light. And then later on, the MCG specialist, Scotty Boland, comes out, picks up two wickets. How's Pat Cummins feeling after his uh, first innings effort where he was so on fire? And uh, once again, he was on fire in this second bowling innings, but hasn't quite picked up a pole yet. Maybe he's uh, eyeing off Joe Root as the uh, first wicket of day three coming up. But uh, let us know your thoughts on the overnight crowd. 0433981116. Can England get past? Australia's lead at the moment and uh, make Australia bad again. As we heard from Paul Dennett right there, his podcasting partner, Andrew Menzel, is saying that no, he doesn't think that they're going to make Australia bad again. We'd love to hear your thoughts tonight on the Overnight Crowd, one 736 736 That is the open line on the Overnight Crowd, or as we are saying, 0433-981116 if you'd like to get in touch with a text. We'd love to have you on this episode, on this edition of the Overnight Crowd with Paul Heath behind the wheel. We'll be right back on SEN just after this. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So, we doubled it. Chicken and Macca's together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.